The second reading today is taken from Luke chapter 9, verse 18 to 27. It can also be found on page 1084. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Gary. Now, uh, good, good morning. My name is Ollie, and so it's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Now, it'd be excellent if you could keep your Bible open. We'll be working through that passage in Luke's Gospel. If you're a note taker, you'll find an outline in the handout. You might like to follow along there if that is of use. But as we begin, I'm going to pray and thank God for that time. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your Son and in your Word. We rejoice in knowing that your Word will not return to you empty. It will accomplish what you please and prosper in what you send it to do. And so may you be at work in us now through your Word by the power of your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever thought to yourself... Gee, I wish I hadn't missed that. Now we've just had Valentine's Day. I wonder, do any of the blokes that are you sitting here, I won't get you to put up your hand if you did, but I wonder whether you're sitting there and you missed Valentine's Day. And so now you're thinking to yourself, gee, I wish I hadn't missed that. Or maybe it wasn't Valentine's Day, maybe you missed something else. Maybe you missed your first day of school, you missed your first day of a new job. When Cassie was in her first job, Her manager invited her along to a barbecue. The whole team got invited to the barbecue, and Cassie couldn't make it, but she thought it was just going to be a normal barbecue. But when when people turned up, rather than getting a sausage and a Coke, do you know what they got? It was a surprise wedding. The manager got married. She didn't tell anyone that was happening. They just turned up, and it was a surprise wedding. When Cassie heard about that afterwards, she thought, gee, I wish I hadn't missed that. Some things in life we just don't, want to miss. And while it's not good to miss a wedding, of course there are far worse things to miss. If your business starts giving off signs that it's struggling, you don't want to miss that. Because it might get worse, it might go bankrupt, it might collapse. 
And that'll really leave you thinking, gee, I wish I hadn't missed that. Or when you start feeling just a little bit unwell and you ignore those first symptoms. So you don't go to the doctor, you think everything's fine, but it turns out that they were the first warning signs of cancer. That is something you do not want to miss. Otherwise, it might grow and metastasize, get much worse, and then you'll really find yourself thinking, gee, I wish I hadn't missed that. There are some things in life that you don't want to be left thinking, I wish I hadn't missed that. But let me say this, there's one event above all other events that you really do not want to miss. As bad as it is to miss Valentine's Day or a wedding, as bad as it is to miss your business collapsing or even cancer, missing this event is far, far worse. What event is it? Well, it's the coming of a king and his kingdom. But not just a king and a kingdom, it's the coming of the king and the kingdom. And as bad as it is to miss cancer, it's far worse, infinitely worse, to miss this event. Because this isn't just about life and death, this is about eternal life and eternal death. And so today we're going to think about this, we're going to think about the king and the kingdom. And as we do, there are three things that we're going to do. First, we'll work through the text and that'll be the bulk of where we'll spend our time. Second, we're then going to ask the question, what do we learn from this passage? And then third, we're going to spend the rest of our time thinking about what that means for us. We're going to be thinking about the so what question. So firstly, the passage. Keep your Bible open. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and now he's alone praying with the disciples. And as he's with them, he asks them a question. Have a look at verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private with his disciples, were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? Now he's been doing his ministry for a while now and he wants to know, what have the people understood? Who do they think he is? In verse 19, the disciples then respond. And they say, well, it's a bit of a mixed bag, Jesus. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back. Others say you're Elijah, come back. Still others say you're one of the prophets of old who have come back to life. It's a bit of a selection of different answers, isn't it? But just see what unifies them. Just see what the disciples have picked up that the crowds have noticed. The crowds have realized that Jesus is someone special. They've seen all that he's done. They've seen the way he's driven out demons and cured paralyzed legs. He's fed hungry hordes and fed the dead back to life. And they've realized no normal person can do that. And so they've come to the conclusion that Jesus is not a normal person. Now, of course, they're correct in that, but they're wrong on the conclusion that leads them to. Jesus isn't Elijah. He isn't one of the prophets. He's not John the Baptist. He's someone far, far greater than that. So Jesus then replies to the disciples, okay, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? You've seen what I've done. You were in the boat by my side when I calmed the storm. You were there by my side when I raised that dead girl back to life. You saw with your own eyes when I made the lame walk and the blind see. You were even there with me when I made the demons of hell grovel on the ground before me as I cast them out. And so who do you say I am? 
Now, Peter being Peter, he pipes up confidently. He's like that kid in the class that always thinks he's got the right answer. And so he puts his hand up. Sir, sir, I know what the answer is. And here, he's nailed it. Have a listen to his answer. Verse 20. Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now think about that with me for a moment. Think what an incredible response that is. That word Christ means king. So Peter is saying that Jesus is God's special king. Peter is saying that Jesus is the culmination of over 1,500 years of waiting. Peter is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of over 300 promises and prophecies. Peter is saying that Jesus is God's promised solution to all that is wrong in the world. He's the one who right the wrongs, exalt the lowly, restore true justice. Peter is saying, Jesus, that is who you are. Do you feel what an incredible claim this is? I'm sure Peter himself felt surreal to see these words coming out of his mouth. Centuries of hope culminating in this man standing before him. This actually, in many senses, one of the high points of Peter in all the Bible that he somehow knew that Jesus is God's king. And Peter is right. That's who Jesus is. See, this is the coming of the king, God's king. And this is an event that we absolutely do not want to miss. But did you see how Jesus responds? Have a look at verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone this. Why do you think Jesus does that? We might expect it. He'll say, great job, Peter. Now go and tell everyone who I am. But instead he says, do not tell anyone. Why does he do that? I think it's because Peter and the disciples don't understand properly what that means. When they thought of God's special king, they thought powerful army. They thought conquering king. They thought the Romans, those who were occupying Israel at the time, their hated enemy, they thought they am kicked out of the land. That's what they thought of when they thought of God's special king. But do you see how that compares with what Jesus says, with the kind of king that Jesus will be? That's a mission we might be also familiar with, but have a look again at it with me. Verse 22. The Son of Man, so that's Jesus' title for himself. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Did you hear that smacking sound? That's the sound of the disciples' jaws hitting the ground. And it should be ours too. Think about how breathtaking this is. God's special king won't sit at the head of a great army. He won't be bowed down to and worshipped by the kings and powers of the world. Instead, he'll suffer and be rejected and die. And to just notice who it's by... It's the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Now, when we hear them, we think of the baddies. We think about, you know, children's pantomime where a guy in a black cape and a big hat, he comes on, and we all kind of boo, and the music goes dun, dun, dun. We think of the bad guys. That's what we think of. 
But that wasn't the case in those times. When they heard the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they thought good guys. They thought the guys in the white cape that we all cheer when they come on. And yet Jesus is saying that he'll be rejected, he'll suffer at the hands of, and he'll be killed by the supposed good guys. It's just completely shocking for the disciples. And we're going to remember this is the first time that Jesus has taught them, so they are just not expecting it at all. They can't fathom it, which is fair enough. It's a hard truth. It's a shocking truth. It's an almost offensive truth. And yet, that's what it looks like when this king comes. And it's an event that we do not want to miss. So what does it look like then to not miss this event? Well, that's where Jesus turns now. He says to the disciples, come in close, listen up. Let me tell you what it looks like to follow me. Have a look at verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now that word deny there literally means disown. Jesus says that following him means disowning yourself. Casting aside your own agenda and preferences and instead seeking God's agenda and God's glory. And as we do that, it means not only disowning ourselves, but dying to ourselves. That's what taking up your cross means. There, In those times when someone was crucified, they added one final act of humiliation on top of everything. So what they did was they made the poor sap who was being crucified, he had to carry that big middle beam to the spot of his own execution. So he had to take the, the means of execution to the location of execution. It's a it's terribly morbid thing. It's like if we were gonna uh, execute someone with an electric chair. It's like making them take their own electric chair to the spot that you're going to electrocute them. It's a terrible thing. But what it did was communicate effectively, you do not wanna be that guy. And it communicated effectively that he is on his way to death. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Those who want to follow after him need to take up their own death to do it. Now that might mean literal death. And for many Christians throughout history, that is exactly what it's meant. In fact, even today, the people most persecuted and most killed for their faith are Christians. You don't hear it in the mainstream media, but it is true. In fact, have a guess of how many Christians you think were martyred, were killed for their faith last year. Put a figure in your head. It was nearly 6,000. That's 16 Christians killed every single day for just being a Christian, which means in the time we've been here in our church service, likely someone somewhere around the world has been killed for their faith. I don't know about you, but I just felt a, a sickness in my stomach when I heard that. That's, that's horrible. That's terrible. And you know what? The day might come here in Australia where that is what we are called to do. But even if it's not literal death, those who follow Jesus need to disown themselves they need to die to their own interests and comfort. They need to die to the chasing after their own dreams and goals and aims in life and instead live for Christ's glory and kingship. It is such a radical and countercultural 
way of living. And yet, as crazy as it sounds, you do not want to miss that. Why? I think that's what the disciples are wondering here. You can just imagine them looking at each other, horrified looks painted on their faces, and saying, Jesus, that sounds terrible. Why on earth would we want to take up our own death? Why on earth would we want to do that? Well, why indeed? It's because this is the best deal there is. Have a look at verses 24 and 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus says that any who want to follow him and any who lose their life for him are actually saving it. Because the only way to truly save our life is by following Jesus, by trusting in him as king and trusting in the salvation that he, as king, offers. And if we do that, then we gain something far more important than even the whole world. We gain our eternal soul. And that is a good deal. Because our soul, our our true self, is worth far more than anything else. It's the most valuable thing we have, because it's the only thing that can go past death. Now, that's why this guy... So this is Brian Johnson, not sure if you're familiar with him. He's a billionaire, and he is spending $2 million every single year, $2 million, to try and reverse his own aging, to try and stave off death. And as part of it, it's led him to do all sorts of weird things, including taking the blood of his 17-year-old son and injecting it into himself. He's done all sorts of weird and terrible things, all sorts of expensive things. Why? Why is he spending so much money on it? It's because he's realized, what good is money when you're dead? And so he figures he might as well try and spend his money now to stave off death for as long as he can. But it's useless. We all die. And when we do, nothing, not the billions of dollars that he has or not the stuff we have, nothing can go past death. Yet what can? Our soul, our eternal self. And the way to save our soul is to trust and follow the king. And conversely, to not be ashamed of the king. Jesus warns the disciples that if anyone is ashamed of him when he returns at the head of an army, then he'll be ashamed of them. It's a sobering warning. Imagine that. Imagine standing before King Jesus as he stands before the head of an army of angels, each one of them capable of wiping us off the face of the planet with just a flick of the finger. Imagine standing there and Jesus saying, you're not one of mine. You don't belong to me. And then handing us over for judgment. What a terrifying thing that would be. And that's why this event, above all other events, is the event we do not want to miss. But our passage isn't just about the king, it's also about his kingdom. Did you see that there? Look at verse 27. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. That is, he's saying, listen up, if you haven't heard anything I've said yet, then hear this. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. 
Do you see what he's saying? The kingdom, his kingdom, is about to come. In fact, it's so close by that some of the disciples, those who are standing there, will not die before they see it. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the cross. The incredible thing is that God's kingdom was inaugurated in the death of its king. When Jesus suffered and was rejected and was killed, that was the kingdom of God arriving. And when he came back to life, that was the glorious proof that it had arrived. Someone has beaten death. This is the event that we must not miss. Someone has beaten death. And he can, it can be defeated. Death can be defeated for all who follow this king. And so that is something you absolutely do not want to miss. And so then that's our passage. The question we need to ask is, well, what do we learn from this passage? If I was to summarize it in one sentence, it would be this. The king of the kingdom has come. The king of the kingdom has come. At the start, we said there are some things you absolutely do not want to miss. You do not want to miss those early warning signs of cancer. You want to catch it early because otherwise it can be disastrous. And in the same way, you do not want to miss this event. The king of the kingdom has come. And so how do we avoid missing it? Well, I want to suggest two things. We need to recognize the king and we need to follow the king. So firstly, we need to recognize the king. Now, as you might be aware, the Super Bowl was just on recently. It's a big sporting event in the US. It's a huge sporting event. But actually on top of that, it's also, there's a lot of excitement around it about the TV commercials. Sounds like a, a ridiculous or funny thing to say, but an extraordinary amount of money goes into making the TV commercials and buying the slots to advertise your business. Millions and millions of dollars per slot. And one of the ads that got a lot of attention was about Jesus. It had a whole bunch of images of people washing each other's feet, which captures one of the kind of memorable moments of Jesus' life. And it showed all these different images. And then it ended by posing or making a statement, a tagline about Jesus. It said this, he gets us. He gets us. And that's true. He does get us. So good, it's an important thing. But actually, there's a far more important question than that. Far more important than does he get us. Far more important is do we get him? Do we get him? So let me ask you, do you get him? Or to put it in the language of our passage, as Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say Jesus is? As you sit here this morning, how do you answer that question? Who do you say Jesus is? It's something every single one of us needs to reflect on. No matter who we are and where we're at, maybe for you, this is your first time ever in a church service. If that's so, then welcome along. We're so glad you're here. Maybe for you, you've sat here every single Sunday morning for 20 years. Maybe you're even involved in serving at our church. You serve on music, 
You serve by reading the Bible, maybe even lead a growth group. And you feel like you've just been going along with things and you never actually stopped and thought about who you think Jesus is. And now it's a bit too awkward to kind of acknowledge that you haven't, you've never actually recognized the king of the kingdom. Or maybe you're something else. Whoever you are, and whatever your circumstances, every single one of us needs to reflect on that question. Who do you say Jesus is? And it's the most important question you could ever answer in your life. You do not want to get this question wrong. Now Peter, he answers correctly, says the Christ of God. And that is exactly what Jesus wants us to know. That he's the king of the kingdom, God's king, God in the flesh. And that in knowing him there is salvation. I wonder, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? If you're not sure, then today is a great day to ask questions. I'd love it if you came up and chatted to me afterwards, ask questions. I'd love it if you chatted to others around you, ask questions. Today's a great day to ask questions. But even more than that, today's a great day to say for the first time, I believe that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Today's a great day to do that. For others of us, we say, well, I know who Jesus is. He's God's son, he's the Messiah, he's the promised one, the king of the kingdom, he's my king. And to that, Jesus says, well done. But do we truly understand what we're saying when we say he's the king? Do we truly understand what it means to follow the king of the kingdom? Now, Jesus spells it out. He says it means denying, disowning, and dying to ourselves. That is what it means. But I do wonder though, if for us Christians in the West, the issue isn't that this truth is undertaught, but rather that it is underlived. It's not that it's undertaught, but underlived. We want to follow the king of the kingdom while also having what the world offers. We kind of want to go in half-heartedly. Now, recently I heard a story about some students at Harvard, the acclaimed university. They went on a hunger strike for some cause or other. And do you know how long their hunger strike went for? It lasted for 12 hours. I mean, that's not a hunger strike, that's just skipping lunch. And I found it such an, uh, an amusing anecdote because it is so pathetically half-hearted. It just, there's no effort or intent put into it at all. They want to have the facade of being all in while just kind of dipping their toe in. But I do wonder whether sometimes that is a little bit what we're like as followers of the king. We're a little bit half-hearted. We want the best of both worlds. We want what Jesus offers, but we also want what the world offers. We say, Jesus, I'll do what you want, as long as it aligns with what I want, but if it differs, now the thing is, this is not a half-hearted thing. It's an all or nothing thing. Jesus uses the image of death, and that's a really apt analogy, because you can't be half dead. You can't be a little bit dead. You can't be dead on Sundays, and then not dead for the rest of the week. Death is an all or nothing thing. You're either dead, or you are not dead. And in the same way, we are either following the king of the kingdom or we are not following the king of the kingdom. 
There's no middle ground. We can't go half-heartedly. And as I spent time reflecting on this passage this week, I I felt convicted by that. I had to think to myself, am I following Jesus half-heartedly? Do I try and have a little bit of both worlds? Do I try and have my cake and eat it too? And it's worth reflecting on for yourself. Are you half-hearted in the way you follow the king? Or are you whole-hearted? Now, sometimes we find it hard to reflect on ourselves accurately. But what do you think? If someone you knew, a trusted friend or your family, if you were to ask them, am I half-hearted or am I whole-hearted? What do you think they'd say? What would their response be? Now, don't say this to guilt you. Far from it. But if we've truly recognized the king of the kingdom and how truly great he is, then we must follow him wholeheartedly, even if it's to our own death. And so then in light of that, let me share with you something I've resolved to do from this passage. You might like to do something similar. I want to make it a daily habit because Jesus says to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. So I want to make it a daily habit each morning to ask myself the question, what will it look like for me today to deny myself and take up my cross? What will it look like for me today to deny myself and take up my cross in service to the King? Well, it might mean swallowing my pride and saying sorry to someone that I've done wrong to. That's denying, disowning and dying to self in service to the King of the Kingdom. It might mean speaking up when someone I'm near makes fun of God or laughs at Christians, even though it will harm my own personal reputation and they might think worse of me now. But that's denying, disowning and dying to self in service to the King of the Kingdom. It might mean loving and serving Cassie and the boys even when I'm tired, I'm worn down and just want to sit on the couch. That's denying, disowning and dying to self in service to the king of the kingdom. And I wonder, what might it look like for you? Well, it might mean saying no to a promotion even though that would give good extra income and that would be a good step forward in your career progression. But you might say no to that promotion because the promotion might not help you to be a good follower of Jesus. It might take up all of your time and energy, leaving nothing for God. Saying no to that would be denying, disowning and dying to self in service to the king. Or maybe it means giving of your time and your energy at church, serving in a way that no one else notices, that comes with no acknowledgement or credit. That's denying, disowning, and dying to self in service to the king of the kingdom. Or it might just mean coming to church when you're exhausted from the the long week and all you want to do is lie in bed and sleep. But instead you just come to church. That's denying, disowning, and dying to self in service to the king of the kingdom. So each day I want to ask myself, what might it look like for me today to deny myself and take up my cross. Wouldn't that be a great way to start each day? See, the king of the kingdom has come. And this king wants us to know that in knowing him, there is salvation. But the last thing you want is to live your life and then at the end of it, be left saying, I wish I hadn't missed that. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us not to miss it. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the King. Thank you that King Jesus has come. That when he came, he suffered, was rejected, and died for us. Thank you that in that, he is taking the death that we deserve for our sin. Thank you that that is what he did on the cross. Thank you that he didn't stay dead, but rose again to life, triumphant over sin and death, alive that we might live. Thank you that this is the kind of king that he is. Would you help us to recognize him as your king, as the king, the king of the universe? But help us not to just recognize, help us to follow him as well. We do confess we find it really difficult. We want to put our own comfort and our wants and our our desires first. Help us not to do that. Help us to disown, deny and die to ourselves in service to the king. Not because that earns us a spot in heaven, but out of an outflow of gratitude for the door that has already been opened by our king. So would you help us to live this way? Give us strength when we're weak. Give us perseverance when we're wavering. Give us comfort when we're feeling discomfort. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.